Agent Power Huddle is a daily jumpstart, giving you all the tools you need to create an amazing real estate career. Led by top experts in the field, you'll learn how to sell more houses in less time while creating the life you want. Welcome to the Agent Power Huddle. Good morning. How are we doing today, gang? We'll give people just a second here to kind of pour in here. Um, start off and introduce myself a little bit. I, was, I host Agent Power Huddle, uh, I don't know, it's been a few months now ago, I guess. So I'm not sure if anybody caught that one or not, but um, I'm Kevin Howard. And uh, I uh, run a team here in Ocala, Florida. And uh, we're going to kind of talk today actually with one of my agents. Uh, her name is Jessica Risher, and Jessica has been licensed for just over a year now, and she's been successful. So we're going to kind of lean into Jessica a little bit and pick her brain a little bit to find out how she's been able to find that success, what kind of mindset she's needed to achieve that success, et cetera. And some of this stuff is going to, uh, shouldn't say some of it, but most of the stuff's going to be applicable, whether you're a first-year agent or maybe you're just kind of stuck, right? And maybe you're trying to get your business uh, ramped up. It uh, doesn't really matter how long you've been in the business, but if you want to do more production, hopefully we can bring some value today in some of that respect. So Jessica, I welcome you to the Agent Power Huddle. Hi, guys. So uh, when you when you first got your license uh, just over a year ago, uh, what were kind of your initial expectations of the business? I didn't really have any initial expectations. Um, I actually got into real estate after being a, a social worker for a couple of years. Um, I decided that I needed a change of pace, something less stressful. Um, lo and behold, real estate is stressful. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, how did that work out for you? <laughs> um, I... I realized that I, I do work a lot better in stressful situations, but um, that it, it's worked out. Um, I like what I do. I enjoy it. I like being able to kind of make my own schedule. If something comes up or doctor's appointments or something, I can work around it. Um, so that was my biggest thing. I, I wanted something that I, I could do that. Um, I also wanted to look at different houses. Um, I'm very nosy. So the, the more houses I can get into and get ideas about my house and what I want to do and things like that, it works. That's awesome. So when you, when you first uh, started going down this path, you first got your license and, and you joined, in your case, you joined a team, um, you chose that route. And let me ask you, why did you choose the route of joining a team versus trying to go solo like so many agents do when they first get licensed? So I decided to join a team. Um, I looked at several different teams to join um, or brokerages or whatever. Um, I decided to go with the team I'm on because it it seemed like you <laughs> knew what you were talking about. You had been in it for a long time. You were willing to take me by the hand and show me the route that I needed to go versus me figuring it out on my own. 
um, new agent, I didn't know what I needed to do. You go through the schooling and they don't teach you how to sell houses and show houses and write contracts. They just, it's mainly the legal mumbo jumbo that you have to learn. Um, so I, I felt that I needed someone to be there with me and hold my hand and, and take me and show me the way. Okay. So, so if you were speaking to a new agent or somebody that's maybe struggling a little bit, your advice would be find yourself a coach, a mentor, maybe a team, maybe not a team. Doesn't necessarily have to be a team, but just somebody that's going to invest in you. Most definitely. And like I said, I looked at a few different places and like I, my, my agent, when we bought our house down here, um, she wanted me to join her team, of course, because she's the one that got me into the real estate and everything, but she wasn't willing to take me in and let me shadow her. I wasn't asking to be paid during the shadowing or anything like that. I just needed to know what I was doing and how to do it. And she wasn't willing to do that. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So once you finally did get your license, because it did take some time, you'd finished the course. And then I believe it was two or three months before you could take the test because testing sites were shut down due to COVID. Um, and that's the time period you're referencing. Cause I, re- I remember it well, you shadowed me during that time period. Um, yep. So w- once you finally got that, that license in hand, right. And you said, okay, you know, we're coming out of the gate. What was kind of your your goal for the first year as far as number of transactions? I set my expectations really low because I didn't know what to expect. I I wanted to sell five. Five was my my number. I felt that it was a something good to shoot for for a new agent and not knowing what they were doing. Okay, and that that is respectable, right? Um, and, and five could be super good depending on what market you're in. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you're in, you know, San Diego, for example, five, you had a pretty good year, right? We happen to be in a market that at the time, our median price point was about $185,000. It's now gone up to about $250,000. Okay. So just for those of you on this call listening, uh, just to kind of put that into perspective a little bit. So when she says she didn't set her expectations very high, she didn't. Do you know what your numbers were for the year? I don't. <laughs> um, I, I've always wanted to look them up, but I, I don't just because I'm not, I'm not a math person. I'm not a numbers person. So I just go with it. Well, I just took a quick glance before we jumped on the call and I know of at least 35, 35 transactions in her first year. So um, I'd, I'd say, I'd say you've you, you done good there. Well, that's so good. Now, now that you know that, are you gonna set, what are you going to set the bar at for your second year? Um, I think I want to shoot for 50 for next year. Shoot for 50. All right. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. So um, let's kind of dive in a little bit deeper into um, some of those things that that helped you do 35 transactions in your first year. Okay. Okay. Um, So that again, whether they're a solo agent or they're on a team, they can figure out what pieces of their business they can improve on. Right. So 
let's just kind of start off to kind of bullet list some of the, the, the key points that contributed to your success. So we already okay. we talked about we talked about the support, right? Mm-hmm. Now, does that um, if we were to dive a little deeper into that, does it go further than somebody there to answer your questions? Um, I think someone being there to answer the questions definitely. Um, I know I've I've called you at eleven o'clock at night, and you always answer me. Um, you've walked me through the contract, how to write them, how to explain them, what to look for, things like that. I think also um, just some just someone to be there for me when I have an issue and I don't know what to do type of thing. Bounce ideas off of. Um, that's another great thing about being on a team because, you know, five, six minds are better than just one because something someone else has that brings to the table might be something that I haven't thought about yet. Mm-hmm. And and that, that definitely goes both ways, you know, <clears throat> although we don't necessarily advertise it a lot, um, but I pick things up from you guys all the time, you know, so there, it definitely goes, goes both ways. Um, now, as far as um, uh, anything else that, can attribute you can attribute to your success right obviously you you've got a bunch of leads right yes. and that and that would be one advantage to to joining a team um so when, when you get these leads talk to me a little bit about how you kind of nurture them and how you how you interact with the, with the people because you've also had some repeat business already just in your first year yes so what are you doing with those relationships uh to kind of start building your own book of business? So what I do um, after I close a deal, um, I always message them. If I'm not at the closing, um, I know during COVID, we weren't allowed to go in. Um, I always message them, congratulations. Um, Sometimes I'll stop by if it's someone that I got really close to and showed a lot of houses to and spent a lot of time with. I'll stop by. I still have um, buyers that call and text me all the time just to say hi and check in and sends me pictures of what they've done to the house and things like that. So just carrying on the continued conversations, even if you don't have something going with them right now, who knows, five months down the road, they may have a son or a daughter or a nephew or a neighbor or something like that looking for something. And they're going to pass it, pass you on to them because you were there for them. And you continued that conversation, even though there's nothing going on between you and them. That's fantastic. That That's so important. That is so important. Um, you know, I forget the exact stats on it, you know, but it's a, let's just say it's a very high percentage. Uh, you guys can look them up in AR, put out the stats as far as what percentage of people would use their agent again. And then there's a lower percent of agent of, I'm sorry, of uh, buyers and sellers that actually do use their previous agent. And, and that's just a, I think that's a common problem in our business, quite frankly. Uh, and I'm guilty as much as the next person, right? And that is that continued follow-up after the transaction, right? So, and there's some, there's some resources out there to help you with that, um, that kind of stuff too, but you know, especially especially in the market that we're in, right? Where there's so much, you know, uh, business to be had, um, and you know, houses are just flying off the market. It's it's kind of hard to make time for 
for that stuff. But it, it is it is a good point you bring up there as far as um, you know making time to to keep those relationships alive, no doubt. Now, moving on from that, um, let's talk about how you actually interact, just dive a little deeper in how you actually interact with the clients, right? Okay. All right, so, you know, like on showings, everybody's got their own style, for example, right? So kind of walk me through how you show a property and what your, your particular style is and why you think certain things work and other things don't work, so on, so on and so forth. Okay. Um, I think I have a couple different styles that I use just depending on the buyer. Some buyers are a lot needier than others and others just want to go look around and see it for themselves and be left alone. If they have questions, they're going to come to you. Um, so I, so I have the two different styles. So one style, I will unlock the door and say, there you go. Let me know if you have any questions and they'll look around. They'll come to me if they have questions. Others, uh, the more needier ones, they want me to follow them around and point out, hey, here's the pantry. Here's the closet. Here's the bathroom. Um, and then they'll ask me, you know, the age of the roof. So I try to have that information. The age of the AC, I always look on the, the HVAC system to get the date for them, the hot water heater, uh, different things like that. Usually, if, it, if it's got a pool, they want to know if it's a salt water, it's heated things like that. And me having a pool, I've picked up on ways to tell those different things. So I'm able to point that out to them also um, and kind of give them pointers on on how to work it and things like that. Um, so I think that's really helped me. I'm still learning stuff. The, the whole horse farm thing, I'm not great at. And I pick Kevin's brain all the time and he laughs at me. So... <laughs> I am still learning and I haven't shown a whole lot. I've shown probably uh, 10, 15 of them maybe. And, uh, but I'm still learning and I pick up things from my buyers that, you know, I don't let them know that I'm picking up on different wording and things like that. But, um, but those are my two different types of ways I show houses. Um, I try to interact with them, kind of get information about what they like and what they didn't like so I can pick out better houses for them next time because you know the first house you show them nine times out of ten isn't going to be the one that they buy uh, so it, it's a nurturing relationship along the way I also have conversations with them about family what they do I try to pick up on different things and try to relate to them um whether it be myself, a family member, something like that, I, I try to build that relationship. And I think that goes a long way with them too. That's fantastic. I was just going to ask you if you kind of followed that, um, kind of that the Ford acronym as far as, you know, learn about their mm -hmm. you know, the family, their occupation, the recreation, et cetera. You know what I mean? So yeah, that, and that probably plays into a lot of why you, you're getting those random texts post-closing from the buyers, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. Those, those are kind of unprompted. So, so that's fantastic. Awesome. Now, you mentioned that um, uh, you don't always go to your closings, um, especially during during last year uh, when, we, when we were affected by COVID. Um, are you a closing gift person? Because that's always kind of a thing, right? People are always like, you can give closing gifts or not. And if you do, what do you give? And what's the dollar amount? And you get all these kind of things that we see on social media. So what's your take on closing gifts? 
So I have thought about it, um, but I have not given closing gifts as of right now. I have some stuff that I want to make personally. Um, I do make jewelry and things like that on the side for my in-laws to sell at their crafting events. Yeah, so I learned something about you. I didn't know that. <laughs> so I do have little um, keychains that I can put dates and stuff on. So um, what I want to start doing I know closing dates are here, there, and everywhere. You have a set closing date, and then it gets pushed two or three weeks like my recent ones have. And it's very frustrating. So that that's another reason why I really haven't started doing um, closing gifts, just because closing dates are crazy. And I, I want something more personalized. So what I've bought is um, little keychains that are in the shape of a key that I can put their names or their last name or whatever. And then the date of their closing, congratulations, welcome home, something simple like that. Okay, fair enough. Now you touched on something there, whether you meant you or not, at least I, I picked up on something. And this talking moment about uh, managing your client's expectations. Because you, you mentioned closing dates get pushed, et cetera, et cetera. So, Obviously, there's a lot of emotions involved when a closing date gets pushed or something's going sideways, which, you know, often does in our, our business sometimes. Probably more times than not, it doesn't need to, but it does. Um, so, yeah, how are you managing those expectations and, and easing some of the that stress for your clients? So I, I always tell my clients um, from the get-go, this may be the closing date that we have, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be the closing date because a lot of my buyers are renting or moving from out of state or something like that. And sometimes they can't get in on their closing date. Sometimes it's a few days before, sometimes it's a week later. So I always try to try to voice that to them. And as soon as I find out something, I go and I let them know that way that I'm upfront with them. They know everything I know. Um, there was one closing that I went to and the, the sellers and the buyers were both there. The sellers were so upset with their listing agent just because the listing agent wasn't upfront with them. Um, and, and they felt that they were kind of in the dark with everything. The, the closing date was pushed back a week and then it was pushed back another week. Um, it was nothing that the buyers did is nothing that the sellers did. It was, it was all the financing, uh, just trying to get everything wrapped up, but the sellers and the buyers ended up finding each other in a parking lot and at a grocery store and started talking and that listing agent, she, she just, she didn't keep them in the loop and they felt that they were really betrayed more or less. So I, I, I tried I to keep, keep them in the loop. I remember that transaction. If I, oh, remember, yes. if I remember correctly, that's the one that the sellers contacted you directly afterwards. Yes. Um, when I say afterwards, after they met up coincidentally with the buyers at a, at a parking lot um, and they were inquiring with you if they could cancel their contract and list it with you because you had the buyer the whole nine yards. They wanted to turn the whole thing over to you, as I recall. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way, but um, it was a nice gesture nonetheless. Yeah, it was. It was. It was very nice. I've actually had two like that. The other one, um, 
they were upset with the listing agent because they felt that the listing agent wasn't putting their property out in the public eye like it should have been. And that one ended up getting a hold of me. I always leave my business card. If if the if the sellers are there when I'm showing, I always leave my business card for them in case they need anything, if they have any questions, if they want feedback, stuff like that. Um, that, that brings business too. I've had a couple, um, sellers come back and say, Hey, I didn't like the listing agent, how she worked. Can you show me a couple houses? So that helps too. Gotcha. Okay. So just, just to clarify that. So you're leaving your card as a lot of agents do. I don't know if most or not. I personally usually don't. Um, I don't really know why probably should, but, um, that's me. <laughs> I don't, if, if the house is vacant and nobody's there, I don't leave my card because, Hey, right. I don't want to have the to, point I want to clarify is you're not, you're not crossing any lines, Correct. you know, you know, because you know, you're not stealing clients per se. You're showing the property, you're leaving your card. If they call you, they call you, you know, exactly. exactly. And you're helping and you're potentially helping them with an additional transaction that they're not already under contract with another agent for. So yes. just to kind of bring some clarity to that uh, since we are going live here. <laughs> no, I, I don't steal. If someone comes to me and wants to see houses and they say they're already working with an agent, I always tell them that they need to go to that agent first. And if mm. that agent is not willing to help them out, I would be glad to help them. Yeah, perfect. And and um, we run into that quite a bit based just because of, you know, some of our lead sources. So, you know, people get online and they start getting click happy. And um, so that is that is something that we do run across from time to time. Now, are you are you establishing that on that initial phone call if they have an agent or not? Or are you just playing things out? And then if you discover that you kind of hit the brakes and say, whoa, what? You got to make a choice here, people. What, exactly. What, I, I don't I don't ask that up front. Um, but if they do in conversation, say, you know, I didn't want to bother my agent. He's off today or something like that. I always say, hey, you need to get with them first. If they're not willing to show it to you, he, I'll text you my number and everything. My business card, you're more than welcome to call me back. Gotcha. Okay. That's perfect. That's absolutely perfect. So um, we are getting close to the end of our time. We're not quite there yet, but I want to just kind of wait a minute uh, or extend the opportunity for those on the call to type into the, the chat box here. If you've got any questions or anything, uh, you want to make sure that we cover. Okay, here we go. We got something coming in here. Um, if they are on broker agreement with someone, they need to break that agreement before you work with them. Yes, that is correct. That is absolutely correct, Tina. Very valid point. And that's why I brought that clarification just a moment ago, because I realized that that could have sounded a little confusing. So yes, that is 100% um, how she operates. And right. I, I always go to Kevin first, because the first time it happened, I didn't know what to do or what to say. And I, I told that person, hey, I need to get with my team leader because I'm not sure how this all works. So I got with Kevin and asked him and he told me exactly what to do. Yep, exactly. Yep, fantastic. All right. So as we're uh, kind of 
getting close to our final few minutes here. Uh, do you have any final thoughts or uh, pieces of advice you might give somebody that's uh, wanting to kind of scale up? Maybe they're doing two deals a year, six deals a year, 12 deals a year, but they, they want to do more, right? They want to do more. Or maybe they're a brand new agent and they're like, okay, I got my license. What do I do? Right. What kind of yeah. guidance, what kind of guidance would you give those folks? I think just, just being personable, try to relate to them somehow, some way, whether it be through a line of work where you used to live, um, something, something you have to be able to relate to them. Um, you don't want to come off as cold or you don't care. I've had buyers come to me and tell me, you know, their, their agent seems like they don't care about them. Um, so you, you want to be able to figure out exactly what they want, try to get as close as possible. You don't want to show them things that they're not going to be interested in. So being able to relate to them, being personable, um, figure out their style of what, how they like to be showed houses. You have to be able to adapt. All right. So you kind of, you almost kind of change yourself. Just yes. kind of match. So you do a lot of matching and mirroring also, it, it sounds like. Yes. All right. That's fantastic. Absolutely. All right. Um, that said, we are getting, uh, like I said, we're wrapping up our, our time here. I know we're, we're a couple minutes early. Um, Zach, we got any other uh, questions or anything coming in on the other platforms by chance? Um, no other questions. We have about five people watching, um, but no other questions right now. Okay. All right. Fantastic. All right. Well, Jessica, thank you again for uh, joining us this morning and kind of sharing what your journey has been like for this first year. And um, I have no doubt you're going to crush it your second year. No doubt in my mind. So. <laughs> All right, everybody. Y'all have a fantastic day and um, we'll see you on the next Agent Power Huddle. Thanks, guys. That was great. If you'd like more information or to get connected to the Agent Power Huddle, join our free Facebook group. This call was designed for the agents in our EXP organization, but open to any agent from any brokerage. If you're a guest and you're interested in learning more about EXP or our specific resources within the Agent Collective, reach out to the person who invited you to this call to get more info. Produced by the Agent Collective Media Network.